Adam. We had the amazing opportunity to speak with Maddie Mullins of the band Memphis May Fire over Zoom video. Maddie was born and raised in Spokane, Washington, and he talks about how he got into music. He tells us all about the first bands he was in growing up, how he ended up joining Memphis May Fire through an open audition on MySpace. He talks about how that was joining a band that was already kind of established in the Dallas area, their band getting signed to Rise Records, the moment the band was kind of solidified, having their songs played on the radio, and all about this new record they have coming out and the most recent song, Somebody. You can watch our interview with Maddie on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Memphis Mayfire. This podcast is all about you, your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new stuff you have coming on, or the, the new song that you put out, and what's going on with, uh, with, with the band. Awesome. I love that. Cool, cool. Um, well, first off, talk to me about where, where were you born and raised? Um, I was born in Spokane, Washington. Okay. And um, grew up there, married my high school sweetheart when I turned 18. Oh, wow. And then, uh, went, you know, we were only married for a year living in Spokane. I was 19 when I moved to Dallas to join the band. Um, and then we never looked back. Oh, wow. So you, you actually went out to Dallas to join the band. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So the, they were already formed and had already kind of lost some members. It was, they put out an EP and um, everything kind of fell apart after that. And so the guitar player, Kellen, who's the only original member left in the band now was mm -hmm. looking for a singer and, and was doing it over MySpace. Um, yeah! Wow. Open auditions over MySpace. You know, you just had to download their uh, this uh, instrumental track and go and record something over it. And they did a bunch of them, dude. And so I don't know, I don't know why I I got the gig, but I'm happy I did. <laughs> well, to rewind quite a bit, like when you grew up in Spokane, Washington, how did you get into music? I was raised in a super musical household. You know, like we didn't do a lot of sports. Um, we were doing concerts like every weekend. You know, my mom would take us out to see concerts all the time what, who are you going to see if you don't mind me asking yeah no so i grew up um especially like in my household raised on like very contemporary christian music you know okay band, sure like, adrenaline dc talk mm -hmm. um you know mercy me uh the newsboys like that that whole like big burst of ccm that was happening in the 90s yeah um, so we saw a lot of that and my older brother played, played in some bands as well locally. And so, I mean, just being around him, my dad played music when he was younger, it was kind of just like, I never really had a backup plan. That was kind of all I knew. Okay. And what was the first instrument? Were you always a singer? Always on vocals. Yeah. I think my first time singing on stage was when I was six. Um, wow. and, I was, and I was, believe it or not, I was, I was screaming. Um, my brother had this, <laughs> really? yeah, my brother had this like grunge band. And he was like, will you come up and just like scream these few lyrics like over and over again? And I was like, sure, you know, and uh, went up and I still have pictures of it. It's crazy. I had this rad, like blue, like striped kind of grunge era style T-shirt. And I was just I had a bowl cut. I was just this big, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. So singer and then you did, what, joined a band with your brother or no, uh, just no, that we, one. We never played music. Show. together. Just he, he would let me come up from time to time. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And then did you ever start a band like prior to moving to, to Dallas? Yeah. Oh man, I had a bunch of bands. So, um, my mom and my dad split when I was probably 
eight or nine years old. And uh, my dad was living on a different part of town, but we, I could go and bounce back and forth as much as I wanted to between my mom's house and my dad's house. And my dad had a neighbor um, that had a, a band room. He was a musician. He had like a built a whole like shed out behind his house and converted it into this rehearsal space. And they had every instrument, every microphone, everything you could ever need. And so his son and I started a band when we were really young, like early teens, maybe 12, 13, and just started jamming, you know, like just, just figuring out how to play music, how to write music. And, and so it was this incredible space for creativity that I don't know anybody else at that age that had something like that. We could just go into this room. We could be as loud as we wanted to listen to whatever we wanted to mimic, whatever we wanted to. And um, so we grew up together and just went to a lot of shows together. And when we got into high school, it was, you know, kind of like the tooth and nail solid state, um, Mm -hmm. like that, that era of music. And so we went out and we'd see bands like showbread and blindside and embodiment and, you know, like Azalea dying and um, you know, man it was like dead poetic and terminal and you know like the amberlin these bands like it was such a huge deal for us you know mm-hmm. um because we spokane didn't get a lot of shows but when we got the shows you know it was a five dollar cash show and you show up and you just give them a five dollar bill and you go in and you that's rad big room with this like dinky little stage and a crappy pa and just like and you just like let all of your you know anger and emotions out and it was so cool man so i got really serious about music about that time frame and um started some local bands and did some touring in the northwest um you know all the way to south lake you know salt lake city and you know northern california and seattle oregon um blah blah but um i really thought that the band that i was in before i joined memphis was going to be the band that kind of like i would always be with you know really yeah we were called nights in fire like night like k-n-i-g-h-d-s um and i got i was really lucky man i got to play with some older guys in you know older than me they were in their 20s when i was in my teens in Mm -hmm. spokane that were a-list musicians you know from where we were from and so having seen the the that level of professionalism and equipment and songwriting everything from a young age kind of gave me a different perspective just on how the music business actually would work right Mm -hmm. and uh so I was in that band and very serious about that band, got to play with a couple of local legends. And uh, I had a buddy who had moved out of Spokane. He, he's like, hey man, a couple, couple, couple of buddies actually, they, they were like, can we take you out for, for lunch? We wanna to talk to you about something. And I was like, sure, you know? Um, and they were like, we've been out and we've seen the rest of the country and we've toured with these bands and we kind of have seen how things work. And, and being from Spokane, man, like you're never gonna go anywhere if you stay here. And there's this band on MySpace, and they're like a real signed touring band, and they're doing open vocal auditions because they just lost their singer. Would you consider that? And I was like, no, man. I was like, Nights and Fire is gonna gonna do big things. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, let let me go and listen to it. So I listened to it, and they were like very southern rock. And I'm I'm from like the most north part of America, right? So I'm like right, southern rock. I'm a very northern kid. I don't know if this is gonna work. Um, and I was like, well, whatever, I'll take the demo and I'll, I'll go in and I'll, I'll write something to it and I'll track a vocal to it. And I sent it to Kellen through MySpace and he was, I guess they had done like 180 of these, like crazy amount of these like auditions because all everyone on MySpace wanted to join this band, right? Uh-huh. And he was like, this feels really good. Would you mind coming down to Dallas and, and jamming with us? And I was like, I don't have any money, um, but I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll try to fly down there and so I did. We ended up jamming in Kellen's living room, his dad's living room. 
And, uh, and they were like, cool. Our first show is in a couple of months. Can you be moved down here by then? And I was like, uh, and it all just happened so fast, man. So my wife and I packed up and, and yeah, we moved to Dallas. Did you, was, were, were they already called uh, Memphis may fire or was this all prior? So they, the band was already a thing and then you joined. Yeah. Completely like different. Years into it. Ellen. Uh huh. And a totally different sound, obviously. Um, sure. And they had just finished a full length album, but hadn't recorded any vocals to it. So as I moved down there, they were like, here's an entire full length of instrumentals. We need you to write vocals over all of it. And then we're going to go to Seattle and finish recording the record. Um, and that record became sleepwalking. sleepwalking. So okay. I, I, I jumped into like this really chaotic, you know, like the, the, the ma management had dropped the band. The label was in shambles. Uh, booking agent dropped the band. Everyone was like, this isn't going to work with a second singer and mm -hmm. uh, an album that wasn't finished, an album that was needing to be finished, but the budget hadn't been paid yet. So the producer was hesitant to let us come back in. It was this like whole crazy thing. And, uh, and we just fought through it and, and we made that record somehow. And I'm still, I'm still pretty proud of that record. I, mean, I, I still love that record. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I'm curious on this. So your friends that took you to lunch, they just happened to find this band on MySpace and were like, Hey, I think you'd be a good fit. Like, yeah, they, they were a little bit older than me and had, uh, gone on tour with some bigger bands, uh, randomly. So Ryan Folden was one of them. Um, he later became the drummer of the agony scene and then went okay. on to play drums for Lacuna Coil um, and was with them for a long time. But what he was out doing was he was out with Papa Roach babysitting Jacoby's kids on the tour. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Like just where we grew up and how we saw shows and, and, and how we saw the music industry working in that area, them having left, they were just like, listen, there's much bigger fish, fish to fry out there. And uh -huh. we want you to know that we think that you're gifted and, and th there might be a bigger opportunity for you. They had heard about this band through the grapevine um, and had done some research and encouraged me to do it. It's crazy to think I wouldn't even be here had they not done that. And uh, the other guy's name was Scoop. And now we both live in a suburb of Nashville called Spring Hill, Tennessee, and we hang out all the time. Don't. Oh, my God. You live in Spring Hill? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just moved here from uh, San Diego, California. You, you're in Spring Hill right now? Literally sitting in Spring Hill. No way. <laughs> so why are we on Zoom? <laughs> I was like, this connection is a lot better than usual, man. We must be close. That's crazy, dude. I'm literally, I'm literally in Spring Hill right now. Um, I've, uh, when we stop recording this, we'll we'll chat for a minute if you don't mind. That's so funny, bro. That is so funny that you, because like I did see uh, uh, online that you were that you had moved to Nashville, and I didn't realize that until today and i'm like oh he's in nashville and then like i didn't have any idea that we'd be in the same town yeah, dude, seven years ago we've been we've been in this exact house for seven years wow you must have seen this area blow up it's crazy man i mean like when we bought our house we were living in seattle my wife and i we'd moved to dallas and then atlanta and then back to seattle for a little bit um and we were like, I think we want to like go down South and like settle down and, and stop like moving around so much and stop being in the city. Cause being on tour full time and then coming home, we were living right downtown Seattle, pier 57, like oh, sure. this whole thing. And it was just too much. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we looked at houses and we put in an offer on this house at asking price, 
which was much different back then. And we were like, and can you also leave the washer and dryer in the fridge? And they were like, done deal. <laughs> now, and now like all my friends are having to pay like 50 60 thousand dollars over asking price for a house it's chaos dude oh dude it's insane we tried um i'm long story short but basically we were in california san diego and through this podcast just talking to a bunch of people and i kept hearing the name franklin franklin tennessee and i'm like where is franklin tennessee yeah oh it's just south of nashville and i'm looking and i'm like doing some research and we're wanting to move anyway and uh, basically we were putting in offers on houses there and it was like hundred over 50 over like, like you had, and we didn't even have a chance to look at these places. And then no, it's like Spring Hills of, developing. Yeah. They have cash offers, like crazy, crazy stuff. Like, yeah. you know, oh, I want your house. I'll give you a hundred thousand more than what you're asking for. And I'll give you cash right now. It's like, how could any seller turn that down? So right. anybody else is just screwed. Right. Know? Um, but we got in at a good time, man. And, and, and honestly, like we love where we're at. I can't imagine ever leaving unless we just had to, you know? So that's exactly how we feel. We've only been here for six months and I'm like, bro, I'm just, where wondering, have I been? I'm just wondering right now how close you are to me. Like, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. We're yeah. we'll chat in a minute. <laughs> like, you're like across the street. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, Oh, dude, <laughs> that is so nuts. Yeah, I just don't want to give away your obviously where you are and so on and so forth. No one cares about me, but you yeah, are no, more important. <laughs> um, wow. OK, so. So you get this, you get this gig in Dallas, so you didn't know these people. You show up to Dallas, you get you get the job, you're singing yeah. a record. Now you got to fly back to Seattle to attract the vocals. Yeah. So, to, so we were in Dallas for maybe a couple of months while I wrote all my parts, okay. you know, and this was a whole different level than anything I'd ever done before. So it's like nerve wracking. Right. And then we go back to Seattle to do this record with Casey Bates. Um, okay. And yeah, um, it was, it was this whirlwind and uh, Casey was so kind and so patient with me while I was like learning who I was in this band um, I was like this Northern kid, just like trying to be all Southern, you know, a lot of like, yes, <laughs> you know, like trying, trying to like fit the mold. And then it wasn't until our next EP that we kind of fell into who we were with me. Um, but yeah, dude, it, like it was that. And then we finished the record, still signed a trust kill, mm-hmm. um, went back to Dallas and immediately started touring, you know, like our, my first tour with the band ever was with Greeley Estates. I wrestled a bear once and a band from japan called fact okay and it was some of the best memories of my life but but yeah dude and then and then we just never stopped you know um we had to work pretty hard to get out of our record deal because we were in a bad spot um and then we did an ep and gave that to the label for free like cut and dry the self-titled ep uh that was the uh between the lies oh between the lies okay yep and then we went um and immediately started recording a record in Orlando with a producer named Cameron Mizell. He had heard about us and was interested. He said he would do the record pro bono, just like he would try to help us find our new label home. So we went to Orlando, no money, no place to stay. Like we were sleeping in the studio on the floor. I was sleeping in the vocal booth because it was the coldest room in the studio down in Orlando, <laughs> right? And um, Cameron- like, I'm the singer, I'm claiming this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else could have fit in there. I was the smallest one. It was like this little, this tiny little room with brown recluse and, and like a deflated air mat. <laughs> brown recluse. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Cameron, I mean, like we were two songs into, into writing the record and making the record and Cameron sent something to rise and they were like, let's do it. And that's, wow. how, that's how it all began. Um, 
So really crazy, man. Um, that must have been a huge moment for you guys. I mean, Rise Records, that's... Back then, it was like, yeah, they were the label to sign to. And they're mm -hmm. still obviously I right mean, now, yeah. great label. And it's, you know, we're, we have ties with BMG now, so we have assets to for whatever we need. But um, back then, like for a band our size, at that moment, it was like this is it. This is the, this is the, the big thing. And so many people in the industry and, and like, you know, ex fans and stuff, I just called this dead in the water. Like everyone gave up on the band. Um, but I couldn't let it die and neither could Kellen. Right. You know, Kellen's always been the heart and soul of everything instrumental for this band. And we just really believed that we had something special and that's kind of been our story forever though. You know, like ebbs and flows, ups and downs and, you know, mistakes and victories. It's just like kind of this like constant thing for our band. And, um, and so it always feels like we're fighting for something. So when we win, it it feels like a big win, you know? Was it hard to kind of come out as this, the, I would imagine as the singer of this band that was already kind of established, had a, a label behind him. And now were you having to sing songs that, that were, were previously written by the, the other guy? And like, yeah. how, how is that? Yeah, his name was Chase. Um, and he wrote like in a completely different style than me, like very kind of like, unstructured off the wall stuff about like lucid dreams and like, you know, strange things. That I just like, was just like, all right, you know, like <laughs> I'm a kid from the CCM world that came from Spokane that, you know, like, right. It just was different. So singing those songs live was, was tough. And, and the thing that was tough right off the bat was that the band being from Dallas and, and Dallas having such a healthy music scene had already latched onto the band in a big way. Like the rest of the country, you know, um, didn't even know that I, and, and most 99% of people today don't even know that I, I was the second singer. Right. Because it was only, it was only an EP that they did before I joined. Right. Um, Cause the band Dallas, didn't really have much, I mean, right. success on a, a national level at that point. Right. Right. But in Dallas, man, like there was some proving ground for sure. Like it was mm -hmm. like, all right, we liked chase. We liked the band, how it was. So don't suck, you know? And uh, <laughs> my first show at the band ever was one of those like Mike Zemer festivals at the, Plano Center. There's like six thousand people there. Really? <laughs> the most. Play well, it's funny. I have family in Plano. Really? <laughs> yeah, dude. And dude, Kellen, um, our guitar player, is born and raised in in Plano, and went to was he really? You know, East or Plano West High School or whatever. Yeah. So. That's so funny. I bet you. I wonder if he knows. My cousins probably know who he is. He probably he probably does, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, I was nervous, but dude, Dallas was so accepting of me, um, the music scene there. And they've always been so good to us, dude. Um, and now like we live in Nashville, so we claim Nashville, which I think stings a little bit, but anytime we go back, it still feels like home. So are all you guys here in Nashville now? Everybody, but Jake, he's in Orlando. Okay. We've been trying to get him to move here for years, but he's, he's a Florida boy at heart. Okay. Okay. He likes, he likes palm tree printed shorts and tank tops and, you know. <laughs> Retirement oh, homes <laughs> on tips, you know? <laughs> so, well, so the hollow is the first record you guys put out on rise. Was that, uh, the hollow? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, so we spent maybe a month down in Orlando. I wish we would have had two months, um, writing and recording that record, like every single day, probably 12 hour days. Cameron was just getting started with his success as well. So he really wanted to prove something. Um, and we just, we just went all out, man. I mean, like it was, it was crazy. We were so young and living on like literally like seven 11 taquitos and, and, and Red Bulls, you know, mm -hmm. and just trying to make a record 
um, that could put us on the map, you know, and, uh, and, and, and we, we really felt like we had something special, but there were so many other bands kind of around us that were exploding at that same time, um, that we were like, does it, does it add up, you know? Um, and as soon as we put out the first single, the center, it really felt like it caught, it felt like the whole internet paid attention and they were like, Oh, who's this? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a, I was a wild experience. And, and, and I think that that's still a lot of people's favorite record, you know? Like you still hear about that all the time. The same as like, you know, chasing savior to find the great line from under oath for, for a lot of people. Right. It's just like what you heard back then. And the nostalgia of that you're driving your first car, like with your girlfriend at the time, you know, and, and experiencing music, like we'll never be able to recreate that for anybody ever again. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's something that's like really special to people. And we'll still probably always close with the center on every tour forever, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a really special time, man. It was, it was, and, and then we went back and we did our second record, second, I guess, third, uh, full length at, in the same studio. It's called Chango Gridlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was literally a shed, like literally a shed in a shot in like a, in like a strip of sheds. <laughs> um, and it had like cockroaches and, and there was one time we like, um, saw some movement on the camera from the drum room and went in there and found a homeless guy sleeping in the rafters. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. So wild times, man. And you had Kellen of sleeping with sirens on that record too. The second one, uh, challenger challenger Cameron. Yeah. 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 On uh, miles away. That's cool. And Mm -hmm. what, what, like when you signed to rise and you put out the hollow, like what does, do they put you on a tour kind of right away with like a, some of their bigger artists or how did, how did that, they kind of help you out? Rise has never had any influence or it felt like any real pull with touring for us ever. Um, really? Yeah. And, and may, maybe there's other labels that are pretty heavily into that, but I, but we've never, if we needed like tour support, you know, like money that we'd need to pay back. Right. Then, mm-hmm. then we could reach out for that. Um, but booking agents were just always the the only real contact for touring that we ever had. Um, so we had gone to, you know, like management would help a little bit, I guess. I think that we were with the artery foundation for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, we went with uh, a guy named Jerry club for a while. Um, and I think that they were actively kind of networking for touring, but really it's always been about booking agent. We had Ash Abelson, um, who helped us out a lot with touring in, in the early years. And then, um, moved on and, and we're with Dave Shapiro and we've been with Dave Shapiro ever since. So, okay. That's amazing. And you guys, like, what would you say, you know, the band with, with, you know, with each record, was it just like, was the band just slowly kind of building or was there like a moment when it, it kind of exploded for you guys? Yeah. I think the, the, the day that our, our next record came out challenger, it felt mm-hmm. like everything was kind of solidified, you know? Okay. Um, I was like, I was asking our manager, like, how, how many records do we have to sell to stop touring in a van? Because I'm, I'm not sleeping, you know, and I, it, it, we've been doing this for five years and living on $5 a day, mm-hmm. you know, Taco Bell dollar menu, five years every day. Um, I was like, what do we need to do? And he's like, if we do 10,000 plus first, first week, you can get a bus. It's like his thing. He's like 10 K plus equals bus. I was like, okay, cool. So we put out challenger and hadn't even gotten our first week numbers. I mean, this is when that wasn't like as public, like you had to have like access to charts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the day that our first week numbers were, were supposed to come out, we were all sitting in the back lounge 
um, of, of our first bus ever, which was warp tour. Um, because you had to be on a bus on warp. Like it's like, right. not right. And, uh, and our manager bus through the back door, uh, he had flown out and he's like, we did. I can't remember. It was like 12, 12, five or something crazy or whatever that, which was for us, it was like absolutely absurd. Sure. Um, and we were like, ah, you know, this is a big, crazy moment. And at that, you know, the industry like really started paying attention at that moment. And then our next record unconditional had like some crazy chart numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. for, it was wild. Some crazy billboard charting numbers. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of, it kind of went from, from one to the other where it was just, growth growth in different ways like the big explosion was with the hollow and then like solidifying ourselves in the industry with was with challenger and unconditional had these like numbers that everyone was like baffled by like what you know um so that was kind of like the steps yeah i mean you the record was number one on the rock charts yeah unconditional i mean that's were you getting airplay at all or not or not really never we never had literally have never had any radio until our last record um, which we wrote for specifically for radio um, and only had time in the cycle to service two songs, to radio. So, oh, so the, wow. the two songs that we serviced to radio, both went to radio, which was rad. Uh-huh. And that was our introduction in, into that whole world. And now, you know um, you know, our, some of the newer stuff we're putting out is, is heavy and some of the newer stuff we're putting out is for radio as well. So just mixing it up. Okay. okay. So when you say you for radio, you just didn't write it as, heavy of songs or was that kind of the goal? Like, tell me about that. Yeah, a little like, bit. like we went with a producer that we had never met that did a lot of like active rock production, mm-hmm. uh, five finger death punch and Papa Roach and, you know, in this moment and stuff like that and went to Vegas and spent two months out there and made this record with him. And it was a wild experience, you know, like some, some good things and, and also some, some things that I guess we wish we wouldn't have done. Um, but, you know, like all in all, it was our first experience writing in a different pocket than we had ever written in before. And, mm-hmm. and we learned a lot, you know, we learned that we don't have to lose all of our aggression to make a radio song, you know, like we can make a song that's, you know, worthy of radio or aimed at radio and still have the edge that's always made us who we are. And that was a huge growth point going into writing the newer material that we're writing now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a lot of songs that aren't for radio, but the ones that are, still have that that level of aggression that I think makes Memphis Mayfire what it is. Sure. So are you talking about you're talking about broken when it comes to the the songs that hit the radio? Yeah. So there was the old me and heavy is the weight were the only songs we actually went to radio with. Um, <laughs> and then we had a whole record left of radio songs that we didn't have. We didn't have enough time to service the radio and uh, we didn't have a fan base that liked that music because our fans just liked our older, heavier stuff. So everyone's like, what's going on? And it was a big learning curve, man. I mean, it was fun, fun making it. And I don't, I don't regret it. Uh, but it was a good learning experience more than anything. I think mm-hmm. when you said you didn't have, like you, you didn't have time to service the other ones. Was it because like the world shut down or are we talking like, are we into 2020 yet when this happened or it just kind um, of no. So, so how it works is usually I, you really can't go to radio with, with more than like, if you, if you have a proper radio campaign for each song that you're going to radio with, it takes so much time. Like you have the, you, you service it to radio and then you have like the campaigns and then you're building at radio. And then finally, once the song hits, you wait for it to scale the charts. And by the time it scales the charts, if it goes number one, which it, nothing we have ever has, right. For, for like radio or top 20 or whatever, then it starts going back down the charts. And once mm-hmm. it finally falls off, then you're six months, 
eight months, maybe even a year into this whole thing, it's like, okay, here's our next single, right? Right. So, um, by the time you get through two or maybe three at most, you're already through an album cycle and it's time to make a new record. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I came, from, I come from radio. I did it for a, v- a very okay, long time in California. I'm the choir here. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm curious because I didn't know what, what where you're going with that, but that that makes total sense because you'll have a band like I don't know, like Cage the Elephant, for example. They'll have like a record and it'll have like five singles on it, but and then you're still pushing it as like, oh, here's a new song from them, but it's like somebody's owned this record for two years now. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's the new single. <laughs> and that's, I really do believe that, that the traditional like album is dead. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it's dead. I think that it's still important and still has its place. And I think that we will always like package what we do as an album at some point. But I think that, just the way that music is consumed from just the standard listener who's got like Spotify playlists and stuff like that. And, and also at radio, it's like the only way to stay fresh and exciting and in front of your listeners is to release songs as singles, man. I believe that, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think everybody agrees, but that's, that's where I'm at. Well, I agree when, especially if it comes to like a newer artist, because you're not going to want to, like if the band doesn't have any sort of real buzz or anything about them and they're going to put a full record out, you're like, okay, I feel like you're losing, you know, maybe nine songs that no one's going to really pay attention to. Totally. You put a single out and you focus on it. Man, even, even like diehard fans, it's like, there's a percentage of diehard fans that are going to grab a record, like, and by grab, I mean, download a record and listen to it front to back and fully digest it. And there's a bunch of other diehard fans that will go and like be like, oh, I love this band. And then they'll look for the song with the star next to it. Listen to that. Awesome song. Star next to it. Awesome. Star next to it. Awesome. All right. What's this other band put out? You know, like the attention spans are so short. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like and, and I'm the same way, like ADD or just like kind of always looking at the next thing or whatever. It's like, can people really can can the majority of music listeners still digest full albums? You know, I think. For for a, your band, for example, I mean, you guys have six records out, full length records, and I, and you have a fan base and enough. I feel like if you're an established band like you guys, you can get away with putting a record out because you can put a full record out, and there's enough people that I think would be interested in hearing the whole thing. Like I don't totally, know, Green Day wouldn't put out just like a single and stop. I mean, because they can put a record out and people are going to listen to the whole thing. Totally, totally. I and and I, and that's that's a great point. I just mean is is every song getting the attention that it deserves if it comes out as an album right sure yeah no i completely agree with you you have an album full of singles and you put out an album having only released three singles leading up to that are those three songs still going to be the flagship songs forever and these other seven or eight or nine songs that are amazing songs kind of just get pushed towards the back burner and then these like real cult fans like will listen and love those but then you go out and you play live or your send songs to radio or whatever. And it was really always those three. Sure. That really hit the mark, you know? No, I totally, I totally see where you're coming from. And you yeah. do want to give, cause then it song people aren't living in a world. Uh, I mean, I would imagine being an artist, you wouldn't want to live in a world of like the album cut songs, like, you know, they're yeah. the filler ish type things. It's like, you're probably with people's short attention spans. It's like, I want to write a song. I want to put it out and we're going to market it. So people hear it. So yeah. giving each song kind of their own spotlight. 
Yeah, totally. And we've done that four times in a row at this point this year. Mm-hmm. And it feels good, dude. That's really cool. Well, yeah. where were you guys at? Were you on tour when, when COVID hit? We were not. We had just stopped confirming anything tour related until we could uh, get writing and, and start this album process and know what it was going to look like. We didn't know we were going to have two years to make it, right? <laughs> right. Of course not. But, but we did. And it was awesome. Uh, like, obviously terrible, but also awesome to have that time to really hone in on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we had just we had done like a we had just finished like a European headliner and got back from that. And then a couple months later, COVID hit. Okay. Yeah. So you knew you were going to work on this record. You kind of set aside time to say, we'd, okay, we're not going to do it. We, we would probably have spent six months on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Max. <laughs> and how did that change the album? Would you say it changed it quite a bit? Having that much time to sit on it? It made it better. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, you know, if, it, if we would have taken time off intentionally to make a record, we would have always still felt like, oh, all these other bands are out touring and we should also be out touring you know mm-hmm. it's important for us to be on the road so having it be where we're home and we're focused on music and there's nothing distracting us not only are no other bands touring but we can't even leave our houses <laughs> right of course <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna focus on music right now uh-huh. um and you know we couldn't travel to co-write so i wrote vocals on every song with my buddy cody who plays a man called wage where he lives like right down the street from me we hang out literally every single day and i'm like really you just want to write on all these songs with me he's like yeah so he would come over we'd have our coffees and we would just like write songs we just write vocals and it was the greatest time ever man like we had a blast doing it cody and i are so similar um in so many ways and different in all the right ways to like collaborate in a way that just felt it felt special like usually sometimes co-writing can feel kind of invasive and you feel like you could never really fully share yourself with someone because you don't know them very well um but somebody who knows you on such a deep level and knows you as an artist um being able to just be like here's everything and if it sucks it sucks but if it's awesome it's awesome you know Uh Uh, so we did that for like a few months straight it was it was awesome dude that's cool. Real quick. That's so funny. I just interviewed Cody from Wage War like a few days ago. I didn't know that he lived here either. Oh, bro. <laughs> You'd be so surprised at how many people live out here. I mean, like we've got this massive community out here in Spring Hill just uh, alone. But yeah, Cody is like seven minutes from me. So one way or the other, you're either really close to me or really close to Cody. That's so funny. Well, yeah. again, we'll talk after, but that's hilarious because I just like I just interviewed him. I think it was last week. Was he in his house? <laughs> yeah, he was at his house. <laughs> yeah, you were close to him then, dude. <laughs> that's so funny. That yeah, it didn't even that didn't even come up, but um, that's hilarious. So you've been writing. You were writing with him over the course of yeah, being kind of stuck at home. Yeah, and we finished, and we were like, "What do you want to do now?" And so uh, we wrote to get we to get together. We wrote a song for Wages' new record that just came out too. And, that's so uh, rad. I'm just gonna keep doing that. I think, man, it's just so fun to like to write with people that you love and trust. And there's obviously some like co-writers out there in California and stuff that I do that I love and trust. And we'll, we'll get out there and work with them too. But I had the best time doing this, man. And I think it shows in the songs. That's so awesome. And, um, are you, so the songs are done, obviously those are done. Are you guys touring anytime soon? We just got off a tour with Papa Roach and breaking Benjamin. Oh, wow. And it was insane. It was just as insane as that sounds. 
um like first time we've ever toured in arenas ever so it was just like um and if i had it my way we would do that tour for an entire year straight because it was <laughs> Um, but we just got off that and we're most likely not going to do anything else until 2022. But, but I said this, I keep telling this story in interviews because it was insane. I had an interview like six months ago and they were like, are you guys going to tour in 2021? And I was like, probably not. We're still unsure as to what it looks like, but you know, like if Papa Roach or Breaking Benjamin wanted to take us out, we would do it. And that was like a joke. And then literally we got an offer from both bands being like, do you want to be the third band on this bill? We were like, what uh so yeah so we did it obviously um and it was perfect man like totally it was a healthy run all the way through it was only like nine shows but it took like two weeks um because we had a lot of days off um but yeah it was it was awesome and uh and we we hope to do it all again is it hard to adapt your show to a like stadium setting i thought so dude i mean i felt out of place the whole time like you know we're, we're so used <laughs> to like you know like we came up in like chain reaction. Right. And so right. I just didn't know, like you can see the first so much of the crowd, but like in an amphitheaters, there's like the lawn and you can't see the lawn, but you know, there's thousands of people in the lawn mm -hmm. that are seeing you on a giant screen. And you're like, are those people all the way back there really feeling like, this energy right now because <laughs> I don't know if they are or not. And every day, man, we would get off stage and the crowd response was absolutely absurd. They were so cool. I don't know if they just, you know, breaking Benjamin just has like the coolest, most accepting fans in the entire world or what, but we felt like we did really well. Yeah. That's so cool. That is yeah. so cool. And uh, you're, are you working on a solo record or solo stuff? I always put out uh, over the last like couple of years, at least just kind of some singles. Yeah. It can never be the focus. I love that project. Like uh -huh. I told you earlier in the interview, like CCM is what I grew up on. Yeah. So it, it'll always be a big part of who I am. And so writing record or music for that format is a ton of fun. And um, I'm signed to a different label for that. And we still go to radio with the songs and it's, and it's awesome. Uh -huh. um, but it, that's, that's probably all that it will ever be. As far as I can see in the near future, is just me writing those songs and sending them to the radio and hoping that they bless people, you know, like that's kind of, that's kind of all it is for, for me, but it's a ton of fun, man. It's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Cause it's totally different than what you're obviously what you're doing. It, it couldn't, be more, it couldn't <laughs> yeah. be more different. I mean, I literally like somebody, our new Memphis single is at radio right now. Octane just put in a rotation and Huge. my last, my last song, solo song, show you the cross is still on the charts at CCM. So I have, a song on the charts at Christian radio and metal slash active rock radio right now at the same time, which is a wild, wild thing. That's so amazing, man. Congratulations. That's yeah, huge. Thanks, dude. So cool. And thank you so much for doing this. I'd so rather you live or I live where you do. Cause you've been here much longer than me. Oh, let's just, <laughs> let's just scrap this and do it in person tomorrow, dude. I'm, I'm, don't twist my arm dude i'm here dude we should uh, we should honestly do it we should do one maybe just me you and cody the three of us and just talk about the making of the record or whatever let's do it mm -hmm. i'm freaking serious i'm down dude okay Thanks. well real quick we'll we're we're gonna we're gonna develop this right now but i want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists just in case so i have this but yeah because i love everything that we've done so far because i want to put out one with you but Totally. I love that idea. This is yeah, so awesome. Um, okay. <laughs> man, advice for aspiring artists. I think that it would be 
you have to really love music and you have to really believe in the music that you're making to succeed that it comes down to that. Like, because touring is not glam glamorous, right? Like, like playing shows is glamorous and it's fun. No matter what level that you're at, if it's chain reaction or if it's an arena, it's always an incredible time, but is your other 23 or 23 and a half hours a day when you're not on stage, is it all worth it for that time on stage? Right. Do you feel like the music that you're writing is going to impact people in a way that it will actually stick? You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that want to be in a band or want to be successful or want to stand on a stage with absolutely no understanding of what it takes on the back end. And this is an absurd amount of work. There's so much that goes into every single detail of what we do. And so if you believe in what you're doing and you're confident in what you're doing and you love music, love, love, love music, then go for it. And don't let anybody stop you because there's always going to be YouTube comments. There's always going to be Twitter. There's always going to be labels that turn you down. There's always going to be management that says, no, thanks. There's always going to be people in the crowd that are like, you suck. That's always going to be there. And you have to believe that what you're doing is great to be able to succeed. I mean, it's just, that's just how it works, man. So yeah, if you're, if you want to do this, buckle up because there's a lot of other people that want to do it and you gotta, you gotta want it even more than me. That would be my advice. Bring it back for you.